You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit harvestbrampton.ca. Let's jump into God's Word. Open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3 and find verse uh, 20. The ushers are going to be coming up and down the aisle right now with copies of the Bible if you don't uh, have one. So just uh, open your Bibles to Ephesians 3. Uh, We are heading into a very unique season as a church, and uh, because of that uh, unique season, we are putting our uh, Searching for a King series through 1 and 2 Samuel on pause to uh, talk about some real directionary things, some some real vision things that are happening in the life of our church that we want to be able to communicate to you. And uh, Ephesians 3.20 is the very uh, first passage, the very first sermon that was ever preached in the, the life of our church nine years ago. Um, when, we, when we began, and when I gave that first sermon, I asked people to write on their, on their sermon note to jot down nine dots, and I want to ask you to do that right now. Jot down nine dots in a grid that looks like this, just at the top of your uh, paper. And then once you've drawn those nine dots, what I want you to do is to connect each dot with four straight lines without taking your pen off the paper. So what I mean when I say that is that each new line must begin where the previous line finishes. And so you've got nine dots and then you've got, you've got to connect them all using four lines. So just try to do that uh, right now. Now some of you who are at the very first service uh, in our church, there was only a handful of, of people there, but, but you, you might remember this puzzle, you might not, but... Can you connect those dots with four lines? I'm going to put you out of your misery here. Some of you probably tried this. Well, I'll just do a line, you know, like that. One, two, three, and four, and you didn't get, you didn't get all nine. And maybe you're a little more creative. You think, well, I'm going to go diagonally. One, two, three, four. That's even worse. And so eventually you just probably end up doing this. But what if your first line looked like this? And then line two looked like this. And line three. And line four. Now I'm guessing that no one in this room even entertained the idea of drawing a line outside of the box. The instructions were simply to draw four straight lines. But we, in our human finite brains, we so often, we see a grid, we see a box, and we think, I must, I, I must, I probably have to stay inside that box. We automatically assume that there is a limitation, that there is a boundary. And God is doing some things in the life of our church, and it's important for us to come back to this passage in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, where the Apostle Paul is addressing this issue that all of us have with boundaries, with putting limits on what God can do. And so in Ephesians 3, Paul has been praying this incredible uh, prayer, and in verses 20 and 21, this is the conclusion of his prayer, he says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever Amen. 
And so this was the passage that was preached on September 27th, 2009, the first service in the history of our church. And, and, and our desire at that point was to be the kind of church that would expect God to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or imagine. And in many ways, we've seen God do things like that. But it's important for us at this season now to return to this passage and allow the word of God to speak into our lives about three categories. Three categories in which we normally impose boundaries or limits where the word of God and the spirit of God want to break down those barriers and break us outside of the box to show that God can do far more abundantly. The first category is this, it's the power of God. The power of God. The Apostle Paul is trying to uh, remind the Ephesians that, that the power of God has no limit. There is no boundary to what God can do. It says, now to him who is able uh, to do, and then it says, according to his power. He's talking about the power of God. And in, in our English Bibles, he says he's able to do far more abundantly. Three words that are used to describe one Greek word. And in fact, it's one Greek word that the Apostle Paul actually made up. He, he couldn't describe the, the absolute abundance that, that, that was flowing out of his heart as he was thinking about the power of God under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he created a word. The word is huperek parisu. Now, parisu is the normal word for abundance. It's normally the word that you use when there's no other word to describe how big or how great it is. He, he took the word for abundance, for overflowing, more than you can imagine, and then he he added two other words to the front. Hooperek parisu. The first one is hooper. That's where we get the word hyper. You know, if someone's really hyper, that means that they have more energy than someone else. Their energy level is higher. Hyper means higher. So he, say, he takes this idea of abundance and he says, no, it's a higher abundance. But then he adds to it the word ek. That's where we get the word exit from. So it's going through the doors. It's beyond the boundaries. It's outside of what we would normally think. So he takes the word abundant. He says that it's higher and that it's beyond. He's blown the roof off and he's knocked down the walls. Huperek Parisu. That's how Paul wants us to think about the power of God. That it's surpassingly super. It's unfathomably unbelievable. It's exceedingly extraordinarily excessive. That is the power of God. He had to make up a word because... I mean, what unit of measurement could you use to describe or define the power of God? Like kilowatts, you know, RPM, torque, horsepower? <laughs> what could you use to truly describe the power of God? He says that it's far more abundantly, it's huperek parisu, far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think. One of our pillars here at Harvest is believing firmly in the power of prayer. And, and, and that began even before we ever had our first service. We, we used to have uh, prayer meetings in the home of Keith and Sylvia Jerry. And it started in their living room and then it grew out into their dining room and around into their kitchen. And eventually we started renting a hotel conference room just to pray. Just to pray. And listen, we asked God for some some pretty bold things. We asked him to do some, some, some pretty far out there things. We prayed bold prayers, but he has done far more abundantly, even before our church got off the ground. 
I think about, I think about Pastor Chris Shipley, who last night was, was at an event for Power to Change Ministries, this massive missions organization. And I, I met Pastor Chris when I was in university. He was on staff with this organization. He led a missions trip that, that Lindsay and I uh, were on together with his wife, Lisa. And Chris was like a mentor to me. I looked up to him. And he was so locked into Power to Change ministry. I thought he's, 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 he's committed to, to, to a, a life on the, on the mission field and, and growing that ministry. I never even thought to ask Chris to join our staff. And then the day we returned from training in Chicago, about six months before we planted this church, I get a call from Pastor Chris saying, hey, we're thinking about dropping everything and moving to Brampton. Do you think I could help with your church? It, it never even entered my mind to ask someone like Pastor Chris to join us, and he ended up being our first staff member. I think about this place. I think about we used to pray for, for a location for our, our church. And listen, have you ever thought about how many elementary schools in Brampton are on main streets? Think about where your kid goes to school. Think about where you went to school growing up. It's hidden in some sort of maze of cul-de-sacs and crescents, isn't it? It's on Queen Street. Not only that, there's a, how many schools have another school right beside it with an empty parking lot? We never thought we'd need it, but half of y'all parked there today. And a bus stop right across the street. We asked for a place, but look at this place. Look, at, we, we, we've had the same, we've, the same faithful custodians ever since we opened our doors. Do you know that no other church has Good Friday services that rents a school? But we do. Do you know why? Because our custodians actually personally go to the board and say, we will open the school for these people. That is far more abundant than anything that we had. And we asked for some things. But then it says, far more abundantly than all that we could ask or Think. More than we could think. The, the, the King James translates it, imagine, more than we could imagine. You know, my son the other day at the dinner table, he said, Dad, do you still have an imagination? <laughs> I, said, I said, I hope so, son. I hope I do. You see, an imagination, our, our imagination is thinking about things that actually don't exist. I think I have an imagination, but I, it really got me thinking this week because can we even really truly comprehend in our minds not what doesn't exist yet, but how are we doing in terms of comprehending what already does exist? Our local library uh, rented this inflatable planetarium and they placed it right in the center of the library. And it's this, this big dome that you kind of crawl into and then they project the stars and the constellations on the inside. It was really cool. So I started, started thinking about, okay, so the stars already exist. What do we know about stars at this point? Well, thanks to the Hubble telescope and all of the, the research and everything that's going. This is how many stars we know about. This is how many stars are recorded and cataloged in the observable universe. 219 million stars. That's a lot of stars. We are familiar with, we can name and classify and categorize 219 million stars. But loved ones, there's a, there's a, there was a study done, a team of, of 
astronomers together with mathematicians and statisticians, and they tried to determine, tried to guess, okay, so that's the observable universe. How many stars do we think there are in the universe? And the study concluded that there's probably one billion trillion stars. That's one billion, sounds like a, that's like a three-year-old word, right? I've been here for a billion trillion hours. <laughs> but that's a real number, I guess. And that, so, Forget about imagining what doesn't exist. We as human beings are barely scratching the surface of what does exist. And then I thought, well, what do we know about other things? So I, I thought, well, surely we know all the animals on planet Earth. Surely that, that we've, you know, traveled enough and know enough about this world around us that the amount of animals that we've been able to classify and categorize and name so species of animals on planet earth we have recorded 953,434 animals that's pretty good there's a lot of animals so we've got a lot done but the again biologists working with statisticians and mathematicians trying to determine how many species of of animal life let alone plant life how many species of animal life are there 7.7 million We've barely even scratched the surface of the animals in the animal kingdom. That is unbelievable. And so, yeah, we can try to imagine some things that don't exist, but while we're doing that, we need to understand that we can barely wrap our minds around what already does just here on this planet. It's amazing what, not just to simply think about what God can do, but what God has done, not only in creation, but also in redemption. I mean, these, the, the stars and, and the animals, I mean, that only gets us to you know, day four, day five, and day six of creation. What about redemption? What about he, what, what he did after Adam and Eve messed the whole thing up and then it gets worse and worse in the days of Noah? He covers the whole planet in a flood and, 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 and rescues all of, this, all, all of the animals and Noah and his family on a big boat. And then you have Abraham and Sarah and he, God tells Abraham to look up at the stars and he's a senior citizen at the time and he's supposed to count all of these stars. I don't know if he got to a billion trillion or not. And God said, I'm gonna multiply your offspring to be more than the stars in the sky. And then he, he brings about a miraculous geriatric pregnancy. His wife, of Sarah, conceives. Then, fast forward a little bit further, the story of Joseph, a prisoner, becomes the prime minister. And then the people all move down to, down to Egypt, but they get enslaved. And then in the days of Moses, God does incredible things. Parts the Red Sea, water from the rock. Balaam, the prophet, tries to stop them, but the donkey interrupts and starts talking. And then the days of Joshua, the sun stands still in the sky. God interrupted orbit in order for the people of God to win a battle. David, with a couple of rocks, destroys a giant. Elijah and Elisha, axe heads floating to the top like bobbing for, for apples in the water. In the days of Hezekiah, the city of Jerusalem, surrounded by the Assyrian army, and in one night they're completely destroyed. That's just the Old Testament. Then you get into the, the New Testament, you've got, you've got the Son of God coming to earth, a virgin conceiving, and in her arms is God in flesh. And then that child grows and performs miracles and does amazing teaching, and then he goes to the cross to suffer and die for my sin and for yours, is buried and then raises again. Loved ones, this isn't imagining what could happen, this is wrapping our minds around what has happened. 
And he is able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think. And here's the amazing thing. All those stories in the Old Testament, even even in the New Testament, no one was like, I knew God was going to do that. Everyone was completely caught off guard to see how God breaks through those kinds of limits. God's ability to give far exceeds our capacity to ask or to think or to imagine. The amazing thing too is that it's not just that God is powerful, he's also generous. The context of this prayer is Paul is praying that we would have power to understand something. Not power to understand God's power. Power to understand the height and the depth and the width and the breadth of the love of Christ. It's not just that he can help us, but that he wants to help us. That's such an incredible uh, truth. Speaking of us, this is the second category that we need to sort of blow out of the water. So the power of God, the second one is the people of God. The people of God. He, he makes this incredible statement far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think. And then he says something so surprising. According to the power at work within us. What? Us? Star creating power? Flooding the earth power? Resurrection from the dead power? Is dwelling in us. We need to have a better understanding of what it means to be the people of God. This isn't just about what God wants to do for us. It's about what God wants to do through us. That's a, that's a whole different ballgame. But Jesus promised and prophesied in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus promised to send power. Power for a purpose. So that his gospel would spread to the ends of the earth. And and. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 talks about this power. It says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. The power is not just for us to use for ourselves and our glory. No, we're jars of clay. The contemporary, you know, would be, we're, we're the Tupperware. No one puts Tupperware in their china cabinet to put it on display. Okay, but if you put something precious in that Tupperware... Then, it, then it, there's some significance, there's some dignity to that. In the same way, we are these earthen pots, these, these clay jars, but there is a treasure inside of us. It's the surpassing power of God. And he's chosen, as limited and as finite as we are, he's chosen to have his power dwell inside of us. And I love this, Romans 15, 13. It says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. The, the Holy Spirit gives us power to have hope. What is hope? Hope is an expectation for a better future. And listen, we, we have that ultimate hope that one day we'll be together uh, in paradise with Christ. But we can also have hope for the days in front of us. Even though they might be hard days, we know that our best days are ahead of us because of the gospel. To have power, not to give in to despair when our circumstances uh, can overwhelm us. So the people of God have this power living inside of us. One of my favorite preachers is a, a preacher named uh, Pastor Crawford uh, Loritz. And he says, no matter what task is ahead, no matter what problem lies before you, God has promised that the power that lives within us through the Spirit of God is more than enough for us to emerge victorious. 
Now, the victory might, might not exactly look the way that we would want it to look or expect it to look, but we have that hope that that power is inside of us and that that is enough to get us through whatever we are facing. And so, loved ones, don't underestimate your role and your responsibility on this planet. If you are a if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have trusted him by faith for the forgiveness of your sins, then you have been entrusted with God's limitless power. God does not waste his power. He didn't give it to you for you to do nothing with your life. And I'm not just talking about doing some, something big and crazy and adventurous. I'm talking about even small things. How many times do we have an inclination where we think, you know what, my friend seemed a little down today. Maybe I should send them a text and just let them know I'm praying for them and send them a verse. How many times do we think that and how many times do we actually do it? Because so often we think, well, it's just a text. They'll probably just ignore it. No. God's power is inside of you. And there's power in the word of God. And there's power in speaking into someone's life. And so don't think, well, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what I do. Don't think, well, because I'm, you know, I sort of have a boring, ho-hum, mundane job. It's not really that important. No, God has given you power to have a presence and an influence where you work. Or the children that you are rearing. Or the relationships that you have. Expect God to work in your life, in your everyday life. Because there is a power that is at work in us. And so we need to live like that. We need to think like that. And then when we all come together as individuals who individually have the power of God working in us, we come together as the people of God. And what are we expecting God to do with the power that is at work within us? We want to see God continue to build a multi-generational and multi-ethnic church that's gospel-centered and Bible-based, that is reaching the lost and that is maturing and multiplying disciples with intentionality. We want to be a place where Hindus, Sikhs, Muslims, atheists, and agnostics are coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We want to be a place that is so strategically located where people who have come from all over this planet have come here to find a better life that they would come here and find true life and the meaning of life in Jesus Christ who is life and have their lives transformed forever and that there would be a reverberating effect from uh, uh, nation to nation and generation to generation. That is who we, that, there is power inside of us and there's a purpose. This is why we're here on this planet. We have a role, we have a responsibility are we living in such a way that we're expecting God's power to be at work in us? The power of God, the people of God, and then thirdly, the glory of God. The glory of God. Verse 21 says, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Defining the glory of God is, is, is quite difficult but in, in, the, in, in the, the broad range of our understanding of how that word uh, is used, the, the best way to describe the glory of God is a physical or visible representation of all that God is. The, the, the glory of God is, is 
the visible or the physical representation of all that God is. All of his love, all of his purity, all of his holiness, all of his justice, all of his wrath, all of his grace, all of his mercy, all at once is the glory of God. Now in the Old Testament, they had the Shekinah glory. The glory of God would descend in a cloud it was visible, it was physical, it was, it was a, a sign of the presence of God and all of his fullness was there. And at certain key moments in the unfolding of history, the cloud would come. On, on Mount Sinai, when God gave the Ten Commandments, the cloud descended on the mountain. When the tabernacle was built, the, the cloud came and filled the tabernacle. When the temple was constructed, the cloud came and the priests were overwhelmed. By the glory of God, by this visual representation of all that God is. That's the glory of God. And then here's, here's something so surprising. So the power of God is at work within us, but then it says, to him be glory in the church. That God has chosen in his infinite wisdom, we certainly wouldn't have designed it this way, but according to his plan, he wants to make himself visible in all of his fullness right here. Now, it would be great, it would make my job a lot easier if the cloud would come every weekend. But that's not how God has designed it. It's not glory in the cloud, it's glory in the church. And so as the power of God is flowing through the people of God, that is the glory of God. So the glory of God is a senior citizen getting on their knees and praying for the junior high youth group when they're away on their retreat. The glory of God is a young mom trying to scramble together to show hospitality to have another young mom over for a play date and a coffee. The the glory of God is, is a, a couple of friends getting together to walk into a flea market or a mosque to share their faith with anyone who would listen. The glory of God is a young adult male sharing with his accountability group that he stumbled into sin again. The glory of God is just a group of ordinary people sitting around a living room and studying the Bible together. The glory of God is a nursery worker cuddling babies and reassuring nervous young moms that everything's going to be okay. That is the glory of God. That is what God has chosen to display. His holiness, his justice, his love, his grace, his mercy, his wrath. He's decided to display all that he is in the church. But not just in the church. It says, in the church and in Christ Jesus. You see, if it were just left to us, that would be trouble. But the church has the ability to bring glory to God, to be a visual representation of all that God is when the church is connected to Jesus Christ. You see, the word glory followed Jesus around everywhere. His, his, his entire ministry here on earth, his, his seating at the right hand of the Father is just glory, 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 glory. Hebrews 1.3 says that he is the radiance of the glory of God. John 1.14, talking about his incarnation, says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Not just Jesus, a physical appearance, but, the, but he was a, a visual representation of the glory of God in the way that he taught, in the way that he performed miracles, and in, in the way that he laid down his life. He was, we saw his glory. The glory of the Lord shone around them in Luke 2.9. That's the shepherds. When Jesus was born, the glory of God 
was there. When Jesus performed miracles, this is the first miracle. This, the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. His miracles showed the glory of God. Even his crucifixion. Jesus said in John 12, 23 to 24, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. That was the hour that Christ was to be crucified. But it's on the cross where the glory of God was visibly shown. All of his love, but all of his justice. All of his wrath, but also all of his grace and mercy. It was the glory of God when Christ was crucified. And then he was buried, but his resurrection says that he was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Romans 6, 4. And then uh, in 1 Timothy 3, 6, we're told about his, his ascension. He was taken up in Glory, And then Christ promised to return in Matthew 25, 31, when the Son of Man comes in glory. Loved ones, we have, we have been given an incredible task in, in being the visible representation of the glory of God here on planet Earth for His purposes. But loved ones, that is only possible if we are connected to Jesus Christ. If we would believe Him, trust Him, love Him, live for Him, Proclaim him, worship him, and serve him. That is our only hope to see God glorified in our church. He's the nail-scarred, sin-propitiating, universe-upholding son of the living God. And so, loved ones, what we need to do is we need to do these two things. We must expand our vision of what God can do. And we must express our worship for who God is. Is. This has been an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church or to contact us, please visit harvestbrampton.ca.